Okay, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 20, or the 20th proverb, I should say. I was listening to Clayton, where you at? Yeah, you sound like a preacher. I thought he was preaching there. He sounded just, I thought, man, I get ready to open my Bible. So we sing about what a day that will be. Call it the sweet by and by. Amen? Amen. However, let's put our feet in the ground. We have to live in the nasty now and now, unfortunately. So until that time... We have preaching until it's time for the preacher to close his Bible. We have to keep uh, being corrected. So my question, a series of questions today, and we're going to have to get serious, unfortunately. Do you, uh, are you hiding something today? Number two, do you know why you hide things? And number three, do you know the result of that hiding? going to go through those things today. Hopefully, if the Lord gives us enough time, we'll get through those things. So Proverbs 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, <clears throat> but a faithful man who can find. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We're grateful for this time that we have together. Many people are not here, so I do, I do pray that you give them safety as they're, as they're traveling and um, help them to be safe. And uh, But now, Lord, we uh, come together and we open your word, and it's your word, so we know it's truth. And whatever is said, we remind ourselves it's absolute truth. We believe that. And if we have faith to believe that, then many times that truth is convicting. Many times that truth is, uh, as it were, steps on our toes. And so we have to receive these things, um, understanding that it's truth, regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of how it makes us feel. We have to accept it as truth. And so I pray that you help us be honest with ourselves. And we love you and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The story is told, I read something years ago, about a man who was Australian. And he lived here in the States. And I think at that time, or maybe it's always been this way, people like the way they talk. I do. I like to listen to them talk. And so the way that they speak and say things. And so he was a pretty popular person. He would go to work and he would go with his friends. And he was popular. So popular, in fact, that he started dating somebody and then ended up marrying her. So they lived together for a fashion, and there came a time where she wanted to go see his family. So it wasn't until they actually flew to Australia where he couldn't carry on the facade anymore. He wasn't from Australia. He was American. He took on the, the accent, he took on the voice, and he was a complete and total fraud. Imagine having married him. Because now you don't even know who you're married to. It was kind of easy. When nobody knows anything, it's easy to carry on a facade, isn't it? It's easy to carry on a sham, if it were. As it were. It's easy to do that. Um, sometimes when we change locations, now at home and around the people that you grew up with, it's a little bit hard. When you leave and go somewhere, it's kind of easy. It's the case with some of you here. You've come here. And it's kind of easy to pretend to be somebody else. Unfortunately, um, not a good thing, ultimately. So this verse, Proverbs 26, is an example of parallelism. So let's just, just, just think about it with me. Again, most men will proclaim every man, everyone, pardon me, his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. So let's think about our parallelism. Okay, so this pits two groups of people. On this side, we'll say this side is most men. Right, this most men. And on this side is somebody that's hard to find. What does this verse tell us the difference is? This, these people, mostly, proclaim everyone his own goodness. But this person, what does the Bible say about him? 
He's faithful. We have this difference. If I'm to take the word most to mean what it normally does, the majority of people. This verse tells us, we're going to think about it and, and ponder over the parallelism, it tells us that most people are fakes. Sometime or another in your life, you've tried to be somebody you're not. Maybe it's, maybe it's interesting, I don't know, fun, it could be to try to be somebody else. Little kids do that. I can remember being a kid and you're, you know, you play and you, uh, you do fight scenes and all the rest of it as if you're this who knows what and you go through all of this and, and that's what they do. They, they pretend. But when we got old, we put away childish things, but some people don't. So this is a way to define faithfulness. One of the ways we can define faithfulness, so we can define it in a number of ways, but one of the ways is to always be honest with who you really are. And that's something we always have to come into grips with. We have to be confronted with that. So we have here um, another verse I want to bring out. It's in Proverbs 28. You can turn there if you wish, but I have it here. It kind of goes along with this. I want to put these together. Then I look at an example of somebody that we can look at to help us to understand this better. Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So these people over here probably don't have God's mercy according to that verse. I should say kind. According to that verse. But this person over here, hard to find, not too many like this one, that person will have God's mercy. And it revolves around, at least in this verse, whether or not you're going to be honest with yourself. Now, most people, if you were to step outside yourself and look at what you really are, if you're, let's be honest, if you look at yourself the way God looks at you, it's not a pretty picture, is it? It's not. But God loves us, and he shows us these things for our own benefit. We live in the nasty now and now. We have to be confronted with this. And some of the things I'm going to talk about here are, are hard to take. They are. They were hard for me to take. By the way, I guess it's worth saying it's the same thing for any of us. So if most people then are not the object of God's mercy, and if most people are not faithful, it says most, doesn't it? Then that tells me that most people aren't pleasing the Lord. Without faith, it isn't possible to. But most people don't please the Lord. That's kind of hard to take. I suppose in the Bible, the Lord looks at people in different ways, certainly saved, unsaved. And we're told that judgment begins in the house of God. The Lord isn't too concerned, I wouldn't say. No, don't take this the wrong way. But he has his eye and focus on people in the church. That's his focus. It's the one he's trying to bring, to make better, to bring higher. People that are condemned, they need the gospel. And aside from them accepting the gospel, their doom is sealed. But this is more for us, more for, more for the people of God. So if there's not much faith in a home, then that's not a home that pleases the Lord. Think with me, if there's not, not much faith in a church, then that's not a church that pleases the Lord. If there's not that much faith in a country, you can go on and on. So this, issue, this matter of being faithful is quite important to the child of God, isn't it? And according to these verses, and the topic I want to uh, encroach upon and focus on, is you just being honest with yourself. And if you're going to be honest, there are some things you've done that if it was portrayed in the screen here, it would be terribly, terribly embarrassing. It's those things that, although it's difficult to think about, that I'm gonna, I want to open up and talk about today because I think it will help us. 
So I'm going to look at um, the life of David. There are a couple of other things I probably should have said here, and I, and I didn't. But I guess we'll revolve, the thought will revolve around this. These people are genuine. Not, not genuine, pardon me. This one that's hard to find is. All of us appreciate genuine people. Nobody likes to be lied to. Truth is, and if you've grown up in, in a place where there's rules and restrictions on your life, then probably you've gotten away with some things you shouldn't have. And that's part of our life right now. So um, I'm going to look at David and his sin as an example. All right, so now I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 11. I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Very familiar. We, we know the, the story of David with Bathsheba. And so here's um, what we want to go through, and it's clearly an example of covering sin. But we're going to look at it from that perspective. And I want to look at chapter 11 <clears throat> in this light. Now, you might know the Second Samuel and uh, the book of Samuel and the book of Chronicles are similar histories. If you've read it, the Bible enough, you know that. Samuel tends to look uh, at things kind of evenly, and Chronicles tends to be more from the viewpoint of the nation of Judah. It is not by accident, I don't think, that this history that's recounted for us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 is nowhere found in the, in the book of Chronicles. The only reason we know about it is because Samuel wrote this down for us. I would think it's because it's kind of a shameful thing, especially since the covenant was given to David. I uh, thought when I was thinking about this sermon that if David could hear us right now, he's in heaven, and according to Hebrews, we have a great cloud of witnesses, and he's going to listen to me expose some of the things that he did many, many years ago. And I don't know. He's in paradise right now, and I suppose that um, maybe the Lord protects him with some of these things. But it's written for our admonition. 2 Corinthians 2, I believe, says that these things are written for our admonition. So we're to look at what happened to him and be admonished. That's what I'm going to look at. So here's the topic. What things indicate that people are covering their sins? Or what things lead to a covering of sin? Okay, so I said before, my questions were, do you, are you hiding something? And then the second thing I said, do you know what leads to that kind of life? Well, this is what we want to cover now. Number one um, is we see in verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1. Let's look at there. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they de destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So I would say, number one, you retire from the battle for a while. It wasn't long. I don't think David here intended to retire from, from the battle forever. He was just coasting. Would you agree with me? Look at the verses before. If you're at chapter 11, look at the chapter 10, verse 17. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David slew the men of, uh, the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shobach, the captain of their host, who died there. And I did a, a search then. I wanted to see what the population of Chesterton was. It's about 14,000, 14,500. So the number of people that died here is almost three times the population of Chesterton. Gives you an idea. 
And when all the kings that were servants of Hadrezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. So this victory was multinational. Essentially, they had victory over the Syrians and then the Ammonites. At the same time, they became tributaries. It was a great victory. David brought home a lot of spoil, brought home things to Jerusalem, things that he put into the temple. It was a great victory. I suppose, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but you know, you're people, you know people. He probably decided, you know, I've been battling quite a lot. This one battle, I'm just going to retire from it. This is one time. The, the year expired, says here, and a year later, time to go to battle again. But he decided, you know, I'm, I'm just going to let them, I have competent generals, whatever, I'm just going to let them go. I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to coast. And that is exactly what the devil's looking for. There's something I've learned, one of the things I can help you with, maybe with some of my experience, and it is this. The devil plays hardest in the ninth inning. You that are about to graduate, and it doesn't need to be only seniors. It could be anybody. You get to the point where you're getting close to the end, and you tend to just coast. Sometimes you just coast. You think, I've, I've got in what I need to. I'm going to take some personal days off of class, for example. I've got them. I'm just going to take them. I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to kind of float by there. I'll get to the end. I've got it made. I'll, I'll make it there. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to let down my guard a little bit. I'm not going to be where I should be. I'm not going to do what I should do just for a short time. I've seen that destroy people. Be very careful. There was a basketball player in the 80s, around the time that the Bears won the Super Bowl, which none of you were alive except for some of us. <laughs> and his name was Lynn Bias. He uh, was the basketball player of the year in the ACC conference. He played for the University of Maryland. He was a second-round draft pick to play for the Boston Celtics. And so I would think, by the way, he was also a vocal Christian. And he was, he, he, it was understood that he was that way, a very clean-cut person, that kind of person, a person that you might raise up as exemplary. And he went through all the, all, the, all the years and all the toil and labor of, I would think, shooting free throws and practicing and dribbling and all the rest of them, practice and practice and practice over and over and over again to get to the place where he could excel in what he was doing. He went through his uh, uh, career in college, player of the year in his conference, the player of the year, number one. At the time, in the, in the 80s, the Boston Celtics was a, was a big team. I think Larry Bird was a member of that team. So it was a, it was a very historically popular team, very successful. And he was going to be a mess. So imagine being in his position. Uh, the culmination of all that he worked toward, and he was very young, very young. He just graduated from college. And uh, two days after the, that round draft pick, and I can just see him wearing his hat and his Boston Celtics jersey, Two days after that, he overdosed on cocaine. Two days. He went to a party, as we can understand it, and took some of that drug, took too much of it, because he didn't know how to take it, and he died. He, he's gone. So you think to yourself, okay, all that he went through, all the labor and the toil, it just took one, one bad decision, and it's over. That's um, kind of... I don't know what the word is, you know, in your face. I'm using common vernacular if you'll excuse it. That to those people that would say, well, it'll be okay, just a little bit. Up to that time, he passed every drug test he ever took. To, to anybody's knowledge, he never did drugs before, ever. 
He was a vocal Christian. What happened? Why did he do it? I would think he just coasted. He had it in the bag. I'm sure he said to himself, I have this. I got it made. I'm, I've, I've reached the pinnacle of where I want to be. I have it in the bag. I've already been picked. I'm just going to coast. And this is what happened. And that's exactly what the devil is looking for. That's what he's looking for. It's okay. Just let down a little bit. Well, you know, so I'm just going to coast. After all, I'm out of here. I'm out of here in two weeks. I'm just going to coast through there. Be careful. Be careful. Please be careful. David did the same thing. <laughs> when they're about to finish, when the people are about to finish, that's when the devil plays the hardest. And so they tend to rest on their laurels. And I'm telling you, that temptation is going to be there for you. Be careful. It's going to happen many times at the end of second semester. When you're about to go home, I'm going to get out of here. I'm just going to coast. I already got my stuff set, packed. I'm going to pass all my classes. I'm just going to coast. Be careful. Be very careful. That's what David did. And eventually, he ended up covering his sin. Well, you know what happened. He did the sin with Bathsheba, and he tried to cover it all up. We'll go over that in a minute. Over that in a minute. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says this. Brethren, I count. What did Paul say? Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. Think about that. I press towards the mark. I'm continually pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Never stop. Let that verse help you. Always press towards the mark. Always. You can't let down. We've said it before, and it's true. The Christian life, I'm sure you've heard it before, I should say. Uh, the Christian life is a life of discipline. And unless you discipline yourself to do the same thing over and over and over again, as much as your flesh doesn't want to do it, and as much as you want to just coast, and you think to yourself, well, just one time, after all, I need my rest, whatever, that's the time where you'll, you're not pressing toward the mark. So if you don't have, you know what, it boils down to the basics, doesn't it? If you didn't read your Bible today, and you should have, you're coasting. I'd say you're coasting. If you didn't pray, it's simple, isn't it? If you didn't pray today like you should, I'd say you're coasting. This is why character is something that we're trying to instill. Because the Christian life is a life of character. Why do people sometimes when they get saved take off for the Lord and some people don't? I think it boils down to character. Some people have taught character and some people were not. So that's one reason. Here's another reason. Now please understand this second reason is so important. All of them are, but please listen. Look at verse 2. I'm back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. And it came to pass in the eventide that David rose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. What time of the day did he do that? Did an even. I'm going to say this. Another thing that will lead to a life of covering sin and therefore not pleasing the Lord is the too much time and activity in darkness. What I'm saying is in the nighttime. In the nighttime is when the wickedness comes out. In the nighttime, that's when you're doing your search engine. That's when you're going to see things that you shouldn't. Be very careful. You're supposed to be in bed, and you wake up, and you want to look at some things in there, and that's the time. It is not by accident that the Bible tells us that we're to walk as children of light. We are to prove what is acceptable. Go to Ephesians 5. This directive to the church at Ephesus is good for us. Rehearse. What are we supposed to do? No, we'll notice a contrast here between light and darkness. What fellowship hath light with darkness? Ephesians 5. 
beginning in verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness, he tells the people in the church, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Why? Verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And it says, look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. Even to speak of it, it's a shame. Just to talk about it. So, some of the things that we kind of take delight in our, oh, you know, our, our uh, time of, uh, you know, aside extra time. Well, those are the things sometimes we'll uh, accept the fact that we'll delve into those things. Those things we'll watch people do. And it's unfruitful works of darkness. It is. And instead of reproving them, there we are looking at it. Many times that happens in darkness. And I would suppose these verses teach us some things about that. I told you this is hard. It's not, it steps on our toes, doesn't it? Because it's so easy to look at those unfruitful works of darkness rather than reprove them and being involved in those things. Why in the world would I want to watch something that I'm supposed to be reproving and instead take it in, just take it right in? The world is filled with immorality, is filled with wickedness, horrible things like that. And those things come out in darkness, dark times. And if you spend a lot of activity in darkness like David did, eventually like David did, you'll cover your sin. Um, I can remember patrolling uh, in the Philippines. We took a trip to the Philippines. I think we were there for, I think, two, a little bit over two weeks. We took a C-130 over to the Philippines from Hawaii. And when we landed there, we were supposed to do an operation, some operations and thing, training time with the Filipino Marines. And part of it was we were showing them our weapon system. And I think they were, they were wanting to uh, maybe purchase it, I think is what it is. I don't know. I was just doing what I was told, you know, anything. So part of what we did there was do patrolling at nighttime. Now, in the Philippines, you might understand, in some of those areas, it's a jungle. It's dark in the daytime. Um, at nighttime, you cannot, you can't see this in front of your face. You can see absolutely nothing, and you're supposed to patrol through those things. And so our patrol in, it involved a point man, and then there's what's called the navigator was the second man, and I was navigator at this time. And I'm going to try to put you in what what it was like. You're in pitch black darkness. In our on our Kevlar helmets, we wore some cargo netting, and then we put a band around it. And in the back of the band, we had two I think it's fluorescent things there. You would where you'd shine the light on, and then they stay. I think it's fluorescent. And we called them cat eyes because they were, orange, they were, um, they were green, and they, and they looked like cat eyes, okay? And they, they stood out. So in the daytime, you couldn't hardly see it, but at nighttime, those stood out. And the only way I knew that somebody was walking in front of me was because I would see those cat eyes bounce around. If you lost sight of those, then you would be completely lost. You would be complete darkness. I had a compass, and the compass was also lit, and uh, my job was to keep us in the right direction. Well, if you don't go in the right direction, in the daytime you might have a landmark, and the day, in the nighttime you have nothing. So imagine you're walking through the jungle, absolutely dark as it could possibly be, and you're trying to just go in a single direction. Every single step you took, you had no idea it was underneath your foot. No idea. So we're walking, and I can remember the person that was a point man at that time was a was a little short. I think he was nothing but that big. And he could, he could fly through the jungle. 
him. You know? So I'm following him, and I'm, I'm carrying trees and bushes with me. And so I, eventually I ended up grabbing him. I said, don't get away from me. And so um, we would walk through. And behind us, we can hear guys falling. And they'd be screaming, and they'd hit the bottom somewhere. And you think to yourself, oh, boy, I could take one step and slip and be there. I don't know how they ever got out of it. But uh, we would patrol through there, and it was not fun. It was stressful every single step of the way you can imagine. But, you know, you walk enough in the darkness, and you'll slip and fall just like that. You will. And it's not pretty. We have to get something in our lives to keep us from doing too much activity in darkness. We're to walk as children of light. Remember that. David did those activities in the darkness, didn't he? He ended up covering his sin. He ended up not pleasing the Lord. Look at number three. Or look at number three. Listen to number three. Number three, the third reason why we might do that, look at verse four. So I'm back in 2 Samuel 11, verse four. And David sent messengers and took her, this is Bathsheba, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified for her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. So I want to focus in on the fourth word there, and David sent who? Messengers. These messengers, I don't think, cared too much of what David did, did they? If anybody knew what David did, the messengers knew. They were just doing their duty. They didn't really care. Now, their, their king, assuming they were Jewish, their king was the king of Israel. He was the one that the covenant of Israel was given to. And these messengers, whoever they were, doesn't give us their names, but evidently just did what they did out of duty. They didn't really care. They really, didn't really care, did they? They loved David. They didn't try to be a help to him. I wonder why, actually I don't wonder why, but think of me, why didn't David have as one of his messengers Nathan the prophet? What would have happened if Nathan the prophet would have been sent there? It would have been a different story, I think, wouldn't it? So these messengers were not somebody really that he should have had around him, but he did. These were people that he would say to do something, and they did it because they were told to do it, whether it was right or wrong. Basically, they were serving out of duty and not out of love. If you surround yourself with people like this, like David, eventually you'll cover your sin. You'll have to cover your sin. The messengers were patronizing, weren't they? They were the Jonadab type, yes men. I would ask you, who are you surrounding yourself with? If you, I guess, spend, like to spend a lot of time in darkness, if you're that kind of person, then you're going to surround yourself with people that are just going to patronize. You don't know I mean, patronize, just lift you up as if you're something. And so we have uh, David, the king, surrounding himself with people. The, the, the true, truly stalwart people, after all, were gone in the battle, weren't they? So what's he left with? Just yes men, just messengers, people that would do what they were told to do. Didn't care. I think David would have received a rebuke. Proverbs 13.20 says this, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a, compa- a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Um, when I first went into college, now we're talking about not this college, 1987, I, I was a freshman in college at Purdue. And when I went there, um, I, there were some people that would take classes with me, and I won't give their names. I'm sure you don't know who they are, but it's not important, just some people. And I, I was paying for my own way to go through college. I found out later on that they, these people had their parents paying for them. And so it wasn't that, that special to them. To me, if I didn't want to pay for it again, there was a little bit more of incentive to pass and do well. 
Well, after class was over, instead of doing homework, instead of laboring to do these things, they would go into the, I guess it was an arcade, but they had pinball machines. Those are archaic, I know, to all of you, but it was the old pinball machines. And they would play pinball, and I would go in there thinking, well, we'll just be here for a couple of minutes. After all, we just got a class, and we'll take a little break in a bit, but they would spend hours there and hours and hours. They invited me to lunch one day, and I was very young, um, and I think I was 17, 18 years old. And I went with them. We went to Burger King, and uh, we ate. And one of the, the ones that, that I was with, he had a, a, I think it was a 78 Ford Bronco. And so we got into his Bronco. I thought we were going back to the college, but we didn't go there. We left and went somewhere way out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, he was literally taking his Bronco out four-wheeling or whatever. So I thought, okay, well, this is kind of fun for a little while. And we'll go out there. And we went out there, and then he stopped. And he stopped there. I'm in the back. Uh, I think there were three, of, three or four of us there. I'm in the back, and uh, he's, of course, driving, and I had some other friends. We're laughing, having a good time. He stops, and he took his, uh, you know, the horn cover. Now, back then, they used to be covers. You could actually take them off. <laughs> I guess they're, anyway. He takes it off, and what he had underneath there was marijuana. So they started smoking marijuana. I had no idea. I'm telling you, I've never been so scared in my whole life. Because I'd never done anything like that before. And I thought to myself, my dad's going to find out and he's going to kill me. And then my mom's going to resurrect me so she can kill me again. <laughs> and then my coaches and then my teachers and all the rest. I'm going to die a number of times here. And so, of course, they're smoking it. And I, and I thought to myself, get me out of here. I wasn't saved. But I knew I can't, be, I can't do that. I was scared of it. I, was, I feared it. So I'm opening the window, and I'm thinking, get me out of here. Where am I going to go? We're in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't long after that that one of the, my friends, and I still hung around with them. You know how it is. You don't want to be whatever. We were going into a test, and I can remember it like, like it just happened. I was following him. We were going into, we were taking, a, I think it was a, was a math test. And uh, the classroom door was here, and then the steps to go to the exit door were right over here. Well, he and I studied a little bit together, uh, well, a little. And then we went into the class, and right before we got there, he went this way. He opened the door, and he goes, hey, let's get out of here. And he wasn't going to take the test. At that point right there, I was one step either way of who knows what would have happened with my life. But I thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. I didn't step with him. He left. To my knowledge, he never took that, that class again. He basically dropped out of college after that. And I went into there, and I eventually ended up graduating. Now, I'm not saying I'm this great person, but what I am saying is that I had to make a choice about who I was going to hang out with. I had to make a choice about who I was going to follow. Now, I never told my parents about that, about being around there, you know, and I, I didn't get high, you know. Like I said, I stuck my head out the window, and it, to me it stunk so bad it was awful. And I just wanted to get out of there. And I was like, okay, yeah, are we going home now? And I just wanted to get out of there. And so um, I never told my parents about that. I didn't want them to know. Why? Because I was covering my sin, that's why. Why did I do that? Because I was hanging around with people that really didn't care about me. If they did, it would have been a different story, but they didn't. And you're foolish if you think that everybody here actually cares about you and is a good friend. Be very careful. So this was, was true in David's life. Another thing, yep, and we got to get moving here. Um, 
So let me talk about the effects. Remember I said in the beginning, you know that you're, you're covering your sin. Do you know why? Well, here's some of the reasons why. If you don't spend so much time in the darkness, if you choose your friends a little bit more carefully, if you do these things, then you won't have to worry about covering your sin, but David didn't do that. Then lastly, what are the effects of covering sin? Well, I think we know some of these effects. Let's just go through it. Look at verse, I'm back in 2 Samuel uh, 11. Look at verse 27. And when the morning was past, that is sorrow morning, not sun-up morning. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. Okay, now, um, so what happened here? Well, he had it all nice and tidy. But before that time, what happened? We, we know the story. Let me just bring up to where we're at. Uriah, Uriah is dead. Okay, He sent him out into the, the thick of the battle there. He dies. He comes back home and lets uh, Bathsheba mourn for a little while. Well, how, how generous he is. Takes her into him the wife. So, that, of course, why did he want? When he brought Uriah, and we'll get to this in a minute. I won't go over that right now. We'll get to that in a minute. But so he cleaned everything up, didn't he? He covered the footsteps. Nobody knew he was there. He had everything all nice and tidy. Everything was all taken care of, right? He lied here. He lied there. He did what he had to do. Nobody would know any different. They would think that this person who is now my wife, which is perfectly fine, is my child, which, of course, he was. But it wasn't close enough to the nine months for anybody to think any differently. So he took care of it. It was done. But the thing that David did had displeased the Lord. Of course, we know what Nathan told him. We've been there. My point is that it's simply covering of our sin, I think you'll agree with me, simply and quite frankly and simply displeases the Lord. If you cover sin like that and you're not honest with yourself, then you unite yourself with the many. And you're one of those people that are hard to find. That fact enough, the fact that it would displease the Lord, now think with me, how we are, the fact that this, these, this sort of thing displeases the Lord should be enough, shouldn't it, for us not to do it. Don't fool yourself, it just isn't. You need to have more than that. You need to get to the place where if I do this, I'm, it's going to be found out and the consequences are too much for me. It would be nice for all of us to say, I love the Lord too much to do that. But if you're going to be honest with yourself, it just doesn't work all the time, does it? Because that's who we are. So you have to recognize who you are. Of course, uh, the Lord is worthy, isn't he? And that worthiness... Again, it should be enough, but it just isn't. Secondly, what's another effect? You are driven to more deceptive. One deceptive covering of the sin always, always, always leads to another one. You never stay there. All this whining and the dining he did with Uriah, you know, here, take this as if so. Think with me now. Uriah was supposed to go home with his wife. And what was David trying to do? If he went into his wife, they'll think that it was Uriah's baby, and there you have it. And, of course, Bathsheba knew the difference, but David was trying to cover things. He's trying to cover it, trying to cover his tracks. This is what, was, was what he was hoping would happen. And then so he drags Bathsheba into his deception as well. Uriah never did do that. And so he thought to himself, well, I'll give him, a, it says, I think, a mess of meat and wine, and he got them all drunk. So from David's perspective, what was Uriah supposed to think? Are you supposed to think, well, I must be a pretty good soldier. That's why, that's why the king is treating me so. But that had nothing to do with it, did it? I think of Joseph's, I think of Jacob's sons, all except Joseph. For how many years did they just never, 
They could have at any time told their dad what happened to Joseph, but they didn't. They never alleviated. They covered their sin all the way during that time. So, you're one, so at least if, you're, if, you're, if we're not going to take care of this, we're not going to be the, the people that are faithful. Instead, we're going to be like most who proclaim their own goodness. Eventually, we'll cover sin, and that's, that doesn't stop there. It goes beyond that. Shame, of course, is another result of that. Eventually, shame, eventually. Look at verse 11, chapter 12, verse 11. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of his son. Little did he know that it was going to be his own son, S-O-N. We can go to chapter 16 and see that. This is exactly what Absalom did. He's reaping, isn't he? His sin is being exposed. Of course, what happened to his family? David lived a life of covering things up. He covered things up. He covered his tract. Any time he could have been part of this faithful, but he instead he decided to align himself with most people. What happened? Amnon rapes Tamar. Absalom kills Amnon. Absalom rebels, and so did Adonijah. You reap what you sow, don't you? Of course, his testimony was destroyed. So I have to stop. But I asked you in the beginning, are you covering things? And what I mean by that, I'm not saying you should come up here and tell us, but are you consistently honest with the Lord as to who you really are and get things right? If you're instead of being the kind of person that, well, okay, I did that one thing, but it's okay now. I'm just going to cover it up and it'll be it. According to the scriptures, you'll not have God's mercy and you won't be faithful and you won't please him. So God help us to be the kind of people that would be honest and faithful in this matter. Let's pray. You stand, please. Has bowed, eyes closed.